0: to take your attention tonight to 1 Timothy chapter 2, I do appreciate Brother Dylan leading us tonight in special prayer for uh, the nation of Israel, this is, these are very trying times in our world, and this is not a political rant, this is a biblical concern, and we, if there's ever been a time that we need to pray for our world, it is now. The enemy, when the enemy sees weakness in leadership, you will always see a shift in how the enemy attacks, and we're seeing attacks on every side. Just this week, we have seen cyber attacks that have shut down pipelines. We have seen terrorist attacks uh, that has sent, uh, earlier today, uh, over 1,050 missiles had all have been sent into the nation of Israel. And uh, I believe at that point, none of them had been able to land. They had shot every one of those down before they were ever able to hit. Sister Cheryl said in the office today, it doesn't matter how small the nation when God is on your side. I'm glad we have a God on our side. And I'm glad we know who He is. Thankful tonight to know the Lord and know Him and the power of the Holy Ghost. Tonight, I'm going to continue with the series I started last week. I was not feeling well last week, as many of you could tell, and you hung in there with me, and I appreciate it. I um, went home feeling like... I shared a lot of information last week and didn't do a great job communicating. And so tonight I hope to do a little better job communicating and not just throwing information out at you. And so I'm going to try to take the time to explain what we are talking about tonight as we are discovering. I don't do this too often, uh, but as I take different series, I often on Wednesday night take Uh, Subjects that are very life-oriented and teach on those even in series. Uh, But I have felt to take some very clear doctrinal views in certain areas. And so tonight we are going to continue with lesson two on the oneness of the Godhead. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse number 5, Paul is telling Timothy in his first letter, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There is but one God. Now, this scripture, as any scripture, can be used and twisted to fit many different molds and models. And I, I'm going to reiterate a few things I said last week because I feel like I just ran over the top of them and not take did not take the adequate time that I needed to take to have a little deeper look into some of the views that I felt to share. No scripture, the Bible says no scripture, is of private interpretation, meaning there is no one scripture that stands alone in doctrine. When it comes to doctrine, there should be a multiplicity of scriptures that work together and create a weave, a web, a thread, whatever whatever uh, term you want to use, that points out and fulfills that the clarity of of that specific text. There is one God. All through Scripture, the Bible emphatically declares there is but one God. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord said he would share his glory with none other. Uh, we could just go on and on tonight and spend all of this evening just quoting scriptures that are related to the fact that there is one God. Anyone who chooses to to try to disprove the fact of one God is definitely grossly misquoting or misusing scripture, taking scripture completely out of context, and absolutely allowing private interpretation of scripture. Because the thread of the Word of God clearly declares there is one God. Now, when the Apostle Paul begins to talk to Timothy in his first letter and write unto him under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, meaning that all Scripture that is written was given by God, holy men of old, wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. And so therefore, even when the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. We know that that letter was for Timothy, but there was also an application to the church age that it was not a letter to Timothy only. All of the Pauline epistles, all of the general epistles, all of the epistles that were written were not just written for that day. It was written for the church age in which we live today. And so the New Testament in general is for the church age and for our correction, for our edification, uh, and for our reproof. And so we must rightly divide these scriptures to arrive at very clear teaching in the word of God. Now men have taken 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 and they have tried to discredit the office of ministry. They have tried to discredit the fivefold ministry. The prophet, the apostle, the evangelist, the teacher, the pastor. They try to discredit the pastor by the use of this text, saying that there is but one God and one mediator between God and man, meaning that there is nobody else anywhere. And they try to discredit the fact that a pastor is going to give an account for the souls of those whom are under his spiritual authority. And so they try to use these texts to try to sway us from The truth that is taught in Scripture, there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now before I get too deep into this, let me remind you that this is not referring to two distinct beings. In the King James Version of Scripture, anywhere that you read the word and, there is no conjunction. Remember, there is no conjunction. In the original text. So if you were to go to the original Greek and you were to study, the word and was added in by the King James uh, writers, and as they were making it more palatable for the English language, and they added in words such as and. So it would be very easy for us to take this text and to change the word and to even because it would be the the exact same translation. So uh, when in the original text, when the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he said there is one God, even one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It takes a whole different view, a whole different look at the text, when we simply, correctly translate that scripture. The word of God is infallible. I am in no way trying to take away from the writing of the King James Version. I prefer the King James writers and use and preach and teach from the King James Bible because I believe it is the most technically correct But it is not absolutely 100% correct in every point and place. Very small things such as the one I just pointed out. Find it interesting to note that even among our uh, Spanish-speaking individuals that are here would be aware of something that many of us may not even be aware. And that is that the King James Version of Scripture is not translated into Spanish because it does not work in the Spanish language and so therefore uh, it doesn't mean they can't be saved what it means is, is that we must rightly divide the word of truth and understanding that we uh, can take a translation that happened uh, seven or eight hundred years ago and find it to be the most technically correct and find that there are other versions that may be similarly correct some very watered down some very tainted that's why we must be careful when it comes to doctrinal teaching of where and what version of scripture that we draw our resources from because people with other views of scripture with a desire to disprove the original text, could taint the word of truth and cause one to be led astray by adding to and taking from. The original text is translated properly in the King James Version when it said that we are not to add to or take from the word of God. And so we must take this word and we must Teach this word to the clearest and best of our understanding. So for men who try to take away the biblical authority of ministry in scripture through our text of 1 Timothy 2 and 5, let me be very clear tonight to say that it does not mean that you do not need a pastor in your life. It does not mean that it's okay for you and Jesus to have your own thing going somewhere in your living room, in your house shoes, with your feet propped up, and you don't need a church, and you don't need a pastor, and you don't need any, the five-fold ministry. Uh, all you need is just the Word of God and a relationship with Jesus, and everything's going to be all right. As a matter of fact, through a web and a weave of Scripture, I can tell you tonight that that is absolutely a clear, unbiblical view. We must have the preached Word of God. For the preaching of the Gospel is to save those that are lost. And we must have a preacher, and he can only preach if he has been sent. And we must hear the Word that God has sent to us through His divine pattern of authority in the church. However, I would agree that the pastor in of himself cannot save you. I have no ability to save. None of our ministries and ministry ministry teams or any of our preachers none of us have the ability to save you. You can come shake my hand all you want, you can come join a roster, you can come be part of leadership, part of teams None, none of that is going to save you. you 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 we need to be very careful not to get caught up in developing preacher religion we live in a world of social media and social media has created heroes and giants because they have their cliches and their presentations and everything just right gifted speakers and great orators and they have they the You know how social media works. If the picture's not perfect, it doesn't make the cut. I've seen young people take a picture eight, ten times and delete every one of them until they finally take some more to get one picture that makes them look flawless. And then that's the picture that gets posted. Life is nothing but a dream. It is the social media-esque of Society, And so many ministries have joined in that force and with lights and cameras and angles they've been able to create uh, with ghost riders and all sorts of technical aspects to create giants and heroes. Be careful not to get preacher religion. I appreciate the accolades and kind thoughts. I appreciate all that you do for our family. I appreciate every compliment and every time that you pray. I appreciate all those things. But never get caught up in preacher religion. I can't save you. I don't believe you can be saved without a pastor, but I can't save you. I do not have the ability to save in myself. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, and it is not the pastor. It is the man, Christ Jesus. So we need to be careful of developing preacher religion. Sensational speakers and orators that wow a crowd, have no more power than anyone else. When people get starstruck by men, they often end up getting led astray or at least wounded by men because men are fallible. Men will fail. Only God is infallible. And only His Word is infallible. I can write many, many books if I so choose. You may not want to read any of them. But my books will not be perfect. Just because you read it in other texts doesn't mean it's right. Somebody said, well I read it in a book somewhere, it must be right. I got it out of the library, it must be right. I read it on the internet, it must be right. Only God's Word is infallible. Don't ever mess with God's Word. His Word is yea and amen. His Word is pure and true. His Word has stood the test of time. So we need, we need a pastor. We need the five-fold ministry operating in our church. We need elders speaking wisdom in our lives. The Bible teaches the principle. It calls out The elder women, but I believe it is also good for the elder men. The Bible says the elder women are to teach the younger women. And I believe that the older men should teach the younger men. Don't complain about what the church is if you're not engaged and involved in teaching the next generation. We have a biblical job to do, to train up our children in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. But you can't just let them get it from osmosis and slide through. We need elders speaking wisdom into our life. This scripture, our text, 1 Timothy chapter 2, is dealing with the divinity of Christ. There is One God. Paul said that this one God is the mediator. He said there is one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Paul said he's a mediator. John, he wrote about him and John said he is our advocate. Peter talked about him and said he is our comforter. He's not talking about a bunch of different people. He's talking about the attributes of this one true and living God. 1 John chapter 2. If you're taking notes tonight. 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to refer to verses 1 and 2 for a few moments and I'll reflect on it again a little later tonight. 1 John chapter 2. We have an advocate everybody say advocate we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous verse 2 and he is the propitiation for our sins didn't say he was it says he is the propitiation for our sins. I'm going to try to break this down and make it as clear as possible because some of these words can be a little difficult for us to understand. And we may have a partial understanding. And I don't want to belittle or demean anyone tonight. Brother Price used to often say in his teaching, teach and preach where a third grader can understand you. So I'm going to do that tonight. If you feel I'm shooting under you, Forgive me. I got to reach the front row here. Dylan's there. And I got to make sure I'm reaching him tonight. We have an advocate with the Father. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Jesus, the mediator, the advocate, the comforter, here is called. Also, he is our propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins. That word simply means that He is the offering for our sins. Remember under Jewish law, before Christ, under the law, the only way that sin could be dealt with was for there to be a blood sacrifice. That spotless lamb that had been taken such good care of and it had so many things, rituals that they had to go through. It had to be a firstborn lamb. It had to be a perfect lamb. It couldn't have a mark on it, a blemish on it, a scar on it. They had to make sure they, they kept that lamb in a complete different area. They, they, they kept it Sanctified and holy is the only word that I know to use. They kept it separate so that it would not have a scar and not have a blemish, which of course is a perfect type and shadow of the spotless lamb which was to come that was going to be the ultimate sacrificial lamb, the lamb Jesus Christ that died on the cross. He was the spotless lamb. He was the lamb, the Bible said, slain before the foundation of the world. Yet he lived later. We have to understand the allegory here that he was slain before, meaning in the plan and in the mind of God. He There was a purpose. He There was a purpose for him from the beginning, much like the spotless lamb. From the time that firstborn lamb would be birthed, it was kept and housed in a separate pen, kept separate from the rest of the animals, made sure that it doesn't have any scratches and marks and blemishes and it it doesn't run with the rest of the lambs. It was completely separate. You see the beauty of Jesus Christ himself being fulfilled in that spotless lamb. So the scripture is talking about that lamb that Jesus Christ became the propitiation or the sacrificial offering. For you and I. Meaning this advocate, this advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation or the the offering that was offered for our sins. Jesus became our offering. No wonder all through the text when we read the Old Testament, And we can read, you can just choose a spot. When Moses is going to Pharaoh and he said, who do I tell them is sending me? And he said, just tell them I am. No wonder Jesus said to tell them. The Lord said, tell them I am. Because everything that you and I need, that's what Jesus is. He never speaks of himself in past tense. He didn't say, I was. But he made it present tense. tense, And he said, I am. That means he still is. He still is. And when John begins to write about him, he didn't say he was the propitiation for our sins. But he said he is, Ah, he is the propitiation for our sins. Meaning for you and I today, he still is the spotless lamb. He still is the sin offering. He still is our Lord and Savior. His blood is still working today. Last I checked, there's no, not one of us that's perfect. For the Bible itself even declares all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now I'm going to tell you I was raised in a home my dad may be watching online tonight. I was raised in a home that was I often know no better way of describing my upbringing but I was in a pretty conservative home. I was raised in a home that there was a definite right and a definite wrong. And I find nothing wrong with that. But I can tell you that somewhere in the process, I may have gotten in my mind a little more stringent idea than what I really find in the biblical text. What I see clearly in Scripture is that there is no amount of my attempt for perfection that is going to save my soul. But it is going to be His shed blood through His grace and mercy. The scripture deals with it and says, so, do we just continue on in sin and let grace abound? God forbid, it says. We are to come out from among them and be separate. But it never says we're to be perfect. We are to strive for perfection. But I don't find in Scripture where any of us ever arrived at perfection. All I can hope for and all I can pray for, all we can hope for is when we stand before Him on Judgment Day, He looks at us through His blood and said, well done. He didn't say, well perfect. He said, well done. You've done your best. Paul declares, I've fought a good fight. I have kept the faith and I have finished my course. So I want to tell you tonight that Jesus Christ himself is the sin offering. In passing, one may ask what is meant by Some of the phrases, what is meant by mediator, what does it mean when the scripture says that we have an advocate. Now, these are two of the most, in my opinion, misinterpreted and mistranslated verses in scripture. Trinitarian scholars and writers have suggested that these words mean something very different than originally intended. They use terms such as advocate, that it is one that is standing in for us as a lawyer or an attorney. Any of you who have had legal matters that required an attorney, you yourself may not even have to go before the judge until the day of trial. But they have what is called a pre-trial, And in pre-trial, it is often only the attorneys that go in for pre-trial. It is the advocate. He goes in for you. And he goes in and he is the mediator. And they go in behind closed doors. And the, the attorneys talk about what they have researched and what their belief is and what they have uncovered. And the judge, in his wisdom, is deciding the best course, and he gives direction to those attorneys, sometimes multiple times. And they go back, and they go back to the client, and they ask more questions, and they do more research, and they give more time, often hoping that things will work out on its own without it actually having to go to trial. And then they will go back in again for another pre-trial, and often all the while the clock is running and the attorneys are making a lot of money and they go in and they advocate for us until eventually, at the culmination, at the end, if it goes to trial, then the two parties are called in and the attorneys representing them allow the two parties to come together and to plead their case before the judge. and. If it is a, ju- a, a jury trial, they will plead their case before the jury and then the jury makes the decision of who they believe is telling the truth and what side that they are going to agree and cast judgment on and uh, the advocate at that point then becomes a counselor and he is only just speaking and giving direction. and objecting to certain things trying to get it thrown out and deciding what can be talked about so in this text many have portrayed Jesus as being the role of an attorney when they say that he is an advocate it's they refer to that he is our trial attorney or he is our lawyer or They use the word mediator, and they talk about him being a negotiator for us. Uh, But this, and, and I must deal with this tonight, because I want to be very clear in the misinformation and misguiding of this text in placing Jesus in such a role as being our attorney. He's not. attorney. He's not trying to negotiate with a third person in the Trinity for you. And this teaching even slipped in to the apostolic movement for a season. And many fell prey to this false teaching that Jesus, being the advocate, is being our trial attorney. And he's doing the speaking for us. And I have touched on this many times, and I will deal with it again tonight, where they say that he is ever making intercession for us. And they paint that picture out to be that your advocate, Jesus as a trial attorney, is standing before the Father, and he is always praying for you and I. Such teachings cannot really ever be proven in Scripture and is theologically incorrect. Jesus did not take an offering for you and I. He became the offering for you and I. He didn't become, he didn't go and take the sin offering for us. He didn't go as a third party and go and say i'm going to i'm going to plead your case the scripture says he is the propitiation for our sin meaning that he he is the sin offering he is the one he didn't he didn't go and offer something else but he is the sin offering thus they misinformed Take God as they try to separate him into multiple f- fractions of God. And they try to break him into a triune God. And they try to paint a God the Father being separate. Last week, if you missed last week, and you need more clarity on what I'm teaching tonight, go back and listen to last week if you can, if you can bear it. But the the clarity of last week is that God is spirit. There is but one God and that God is spirit. That spirit overshadowed Mary, Jesus Christ, in him being all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, meaning God is spirit. Jesus Christ was more than spirit. Jesus Christ was God in bodily form. God, the Creator, Jehovah of the Old Testament, did not have a body. No man has seen God. The Scripture's emphatic in multiple places. No man has seen God. Neither can they see Him, for God is Spirit. Spirit, the only bodily form of that Creator, is in the man, Christ Jesus. In him dwelleth all completion, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There is no other bodily form. When you get to heaven, and we concluded last week with, when we get to heaven, you're not going to see three on a throne. The Bible's very clear. There'll be one on the throne. And it will be the Lamb who is the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. But his name is Jesus. There will be but one on the throne. That mediator is not a negotiator for us. He became the mediator. He is not the propitiation paying a fine for us. He became the sin offering for us. He took the sin of the world upon himself. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took the cup and he said it. He prayed and said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. People ask, who was he praying to? It was the flesh praying to the Spirit. It was the flesh praying to the Spirit. It was not It was not one deity praying to a greater deity. It was the flesh praying to the Spirit. He said, if there is another way, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, the will of the flesh, but thine, the will of the Spirit, be done. And he took, the Bible said, the sin of the world upon himself. He took our sin. As I just ingested that water, Jesus, he who knew no sin, the Bible said he, Became sin. I am not this water, but that water now just became me. I have the ability for that water to be transposed in my system, and elements of that water that I just sit will flow through my blood. Jesus became. Sin for us. He took the sin of the world upon himself in the garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, if it be possible, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not thy will, but mine be done. done." He takes the sin of the world upon himself. He goes to the cross. He bleeds and dies. He became the sacrificial lamb. There was not another sin, but he came. Jesus didn't give an offering for us but he is the offering for us. The polluted doctrine often taught here is missing the point that Jesus didn't take an offering to the Father on our behalf but he was and he, according to Scripture, still is the offering on our behalf. Therefore, When the scripture says that he is ever making intercession for us, that means the work that he did on Calvary is still working for us today. He's not dying afresh and anew. We don't need another Savior to show up. But that blood that he shed 2,000 years ago is ever making intercession for us. It's still covering our sins. He is still our advocate. He is still our mediator. He is still our counselor. He is still our high priest. He is still, he became what we needed. And it still works for us today. Paul said he is the mediator. He is the advocate. So Jesus wasn't given the offering. He didn't just just pay for our sin. But Corinthians chapter 6 said he who knew no sin became sin for us. It wasn't our black sin that was nailed to the cross but it was his bloody sacrificial body which bore our sin that was nailed to the cross. His blood paid for our sin. So we didn't have to die in our sin under the old covenant the sacrificial lamb would pay for their sins to be rolled ahead only to be dealt with again but Hebrews said there is a better sacrifice it's not just a sacrifice to roll sin ahead to be dealt with over and over again every year but the better sacrifice paid for our sins That our sins may not just be forgiven, but that our sins may be remitted. A difference between forgiven and remitted. Forgiven means that we were pardoned. They're still there. But remitted means they were stopped. They were removed. They were taken away. They were cast. The writer said he took the handwriting of ordinances that were against us. First it talks about we who were not a people. We who had no opportunity. Salvation was only for the Jews and not for the Gentiles. We who were not a people. Jesus Christ took our sins, and he nailed them to the cross. It wasn't a physical document nailed to the cross, but when they nailed Jesus to the cross, he who knew no sin had become our sin. That Savior is nailed to the cross for you and for me. So this takes on a whole new meaning when we look at the phrase, we have an advocate with the Father. I want you to say that with me. We have an advocate with the Father. Didn't say we had. We have. Present tense. We have. He's a now God. We have an advocate with the Father. When we sin, if we sin, when we sin, we have an advocate with the the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He is the payment for our sin. So when you fail, God, when you make a mistake, there is no reason to fail and say, oh, it's over for me, I'm done. I could never get back to where I want to go. Don't trample through the blood of Jesus in an attempt to, to desire to live in sin. But when we sin, we have an advocate With the Father, and His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He is still paying for our sin. Translator bias has clouded the right meaning of this passage. A glaring example is in the New International Version. I'm not picking on translations tonight, but I must be very clear in my teaching so that we don't misinterpret or misunderstand the, script, the New International Rendering says we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. That's a misrepresentation. That puts Him exactly where they want Him as a third person that is going before the Father and praying in some form of a prayer to a higher power. That is an incorrect translation. It says we have one that speaks to the Father in our defense. That is incorrect. The blood is ever making intercession. The blood is speaking to the Father on our behalf. Similar interpretive renderings are given in the Good News Bible when it says we have someone who pleads with the Father on our behalf. And the Living Bible said there's someone to plead for you before the Father. Even a worse translation. There's no biblical justification for these translations at all. Clearly, what the New International Version and other translators had in mind was that court scene with us accused. These wrong translations has God as an angry accuser and Jesus Christ, a second person in a, tri, in a, in a trinity, as our defender appealing to the Father on our behalf. It is not found in Scripture. The Greek word they felt conveyed this scene is as parakletos, which is rendered advocate. In the original, when it said we have an advocate, it's simply the correct term there in the original Greek is we have a paraclete, one who speaks on our defense. The exact word is used several other places as paraclete, the associated words. parakleo or paraclesis are used more broadly but never in the context of a court scene and certainly never in the sense of our exalted Lord pleading to a father for us. In fact, such an idea runs directly counter to the biblical depiction of the comforter of the Holy Ghost being not with us but being in us. So if we take the whole word and rightly divide the word of truth, we understand That the Holy Spirit, which is in us, is working on our behalf. The Holy Ghost in us is our advocate and our comforter. Not as one speaking for us or pleading to the Father for us, for that would violate the oneness of God. But it is speaking of one who steps In for us. Let me try to make this a little more clear as I try to take this home. Jesus was the fourth man walking in the fire. But watch this. When they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they threw those boys into the fiery furnace, they threw three in. They didn't throw four in. They threw three in. But when they went back to look, they saw the fourth man in the fire. Meaning, after they got through in, Jesus stepped in. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just digress a little bit out of this scripture just to say some of us want him to go before us and come out and tell us how hot it is before we get thrown in or go in and put the fire out. But that's not how he did it in Scripture. He allowed them, the three, to be thrown in. But then he steps in and became an advocate and a comforter and a fire blocker and anything else. He didn't even put out the flame. He just didn't allow the flame to do any harm to them. He stepped in. He became the paraclete. This is what he does in our life. He was the one who got in the way of our punishment. He could have banished sin altogether, but instead he chose to step in the middle of our sin. One who took on the guilt of our sin and carries it in our stead. Why in the world didn't he just put out the flame when the three Hebrews went in? He's showing us a perfect type of salvation. He's showing us exactly what He does. He, lo- he allows us to mingle and mix and get deep in sin and then to paraclete. The best translation that I can, best example that I can give you is the word para, means one who jumps in. A paratrooper, are you with me? Is one who, jumps in the line of fire. The firefight is going on, but they need some assistance. They come overhead with the jets and with the planes, and out of them, the paratroopers jump in. They jump in behind the lines, and they come fighting for them. Jesus allows the three Hebrews to get thrown in the fire, and then all of a sudden, he shows up out of nowhere. He allows you and I to get in the fires of life and then all of a sudden the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, shows up and he becomes our protector and he becomes our advocate and he becomes our high priest and he becomes everything that we need. So he took on the guilt of our sin and he carried it in our stead. When we sin, we have an advocate, we have a paraclete, We have one who jumps in. When we sin, we have one that jumps in. The word paraclete is used to describe our advocate. It is speaking of one who steps in for the purpose of rescuing us. (laughs) I, I, I often say this. Sometimes the hardest thing for God to do is save us from ourselves. He can save us from our sin, but he has a hard time saving us from us. Because we get something in our head and think, this is impossible for God. I, I've gone too far for God. I've done too much for God. But the truth is, is he steps in to rescue us. He jumps right in the middle to rescue us. He, he comes on the scene to rescue us. He steps in the middle of our situation to save us from it. And sometimes that means to save us from ourselves. God isn't afraid of our mess. He will wade into the middle of your trouble to become your paraclete, to become your savior, to become your way maker, to become your provider. Some may feel like once they're saved, they, don't need, they no longer need a savior, but I want you to understand what John says in 1 first, in first John chapter 1. He says, if we say we have no sin, 1 hmm. John chapter 1, verse number 8, if you can put that on the screen. If we say we have no sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not even in us. Verse 9 says, but if we confess, if we admit it, become honest about it, if we become honest about our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 says, If we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remain no more sacrifice for our sins. The only hope is that the paraclete, the advocate, steps back on the scene. This is why we need a Savior. This is why we need a paraclete. 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. This even goes further. Am I okay with time? I see the t- clock ticking up there. I've got about nine minutes left. I'm gonna to try to get there. He didn't just do it for a, a select group, he didn't just do it for a select few. But he did it for the sins of the world. Meaning there was enough potency in the blood of that advocate to potentially save the whole world. He didn't predestine. world to be lost he made a way for every person if somebody is not saved they can't say well why in the world would God condemn uh, these these poor people to to a lake of fire and to hell he didn't he made a way for them for the whole world to be saved through his blood it's up to them he just won't do it for you he won't save you he will come to where you are and say hey I'm making an opportunity Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Cast your cares on me. I'll care for you. But there is a response for you and I. So when mankind was sinking in sin, there was one who jumped in to rescue us. That's why we can sing, He brought me out of the miry clay. Because he jumped in. He did more than just throw a rope out to us. See, that's how we try to save people. We want to stay up here where we are. If I had a rope tonight, I would demonstrate a little bit. See, we want to take a rope and we want to throw it out and say, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to throw it out. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus just comes right to the middle of it. shows up. He shows up in the middle of the fiery furnace. He walks on water in the middle of the storm. See, you can just see that over and over again. When we sin, he's a paraclete. He shows up. Oh, you mean when I sin? That's exactly right. When we sin, Jesus shows up as our advocate. He's the paraclete. He shows up and says, let me save you from yourself. So he jumped in. He did more than just throw out the lifeline. He jumped in. The mighty God became flesh. Jesus became our mediator. He became our salvation he became our advocate he became our high priest are you getting this does this make sense there is but one God and he became whatever we need he came to save us from our sins he got in the middle of our mess to save us from our mess I'm trying to reach to somebody that may feel like you're drowning Maybe you feel like there's no hope. Maybe you feel like there's no help. All I can do tonight is just throw you the lifeline of this Bible lesson that I have put together and bring to you tonight. I can throw you a lifeline. That's all I can do. But Jesus is the lifeline. That's why you don't need me to save you. All I can do is throw you a lifeline. But Jesus is the lifeline. I throw a lifeline from where I'm at. Jesus shows up in the middle of it. What you've got to do tonight is just grab a hold of him. What you've got to do tonight is just get a hold of that, get a hold of him. Hold on to him. He is your advocate. He is your payment. He is the propitiation. He became the restitution. He became the repayment for your sins. That's why we say I owe it all. All to him I owe. Why why do we say things like that? Because there's no way we could pay the price. Even our life would be lost because of our wickedness and our sin. But Jesus Christ became what we needed to save us. He jumped in to save us. And the beauty of it all, stand with me. And the beauty of it all is that when you allow Him to be your Lord and Savior, when you allow him to redeem you from your sins and he gets your life straightened out, he'll turn around and use you. Just like he's used me tonight to throw out a lifeline, to throw out a rope. What I'm doing tonight is just presenting Jesus to you. I'm just throwing out the lifeline. He is the lifeline. I'm just giving him to you tonight. That's what you can do. When he turns your life around, you'll be able to testify to somebody. And you'll be able to tell them, you don't know where I was when he came on the scene. He came to me. When I wasn't worth saving, he came to me. He thought I was. He found me at my point of fault and failure. He rescued me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over the room. Lord, I pray right now for every person in the room. God, as I have delivered... the. This Bible lesson that you put on my heart today, as you've spoken to us through your word tonight, Lord, I pray that there's one that might be inspired today to allow you, oh God, to walk on the water in the middle of their storm, to walk through the middle of their fire that they're in tonight. Lord, to become their paraclete, to become their savior, to become their advocate, to become their sacrificial lamb. Reach to us tonight, oh God. Reach to us tonight, O oh Lord. Why don't we lift our hands toward heaven all over the room? Why don't we just talk to the Lord just for a moment tonight? Why don't we just reach to Him? He loves us. He loved you enough. He loved you enough. He loved you enough to go to the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us while we were still in our sin not because we made ourselves holy and righteous not because we got everything fixed while we were yet in our sin he died for you and I he loves us right where we are oh Oh, let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord just one more time all my trust is in you Lord Jesus The same. You are good in your Why don't you join with me with these words now?